0: Independent wrestling is pretty
1: damn fucking cool.
2: We're sitting down in the spotlight and squirt circle with Ryan on and We're trying to bring more awareness to the independent professional wrestling scene. Undoubtedly thankful for anybody that just decided to tune in and actually liked us enough to keep listening. It's a rare condition, this day and age. Reading and good news on the newspaper page. And love and tradition of the grand design. Some people say it's even harder to find. Well there must be some magic clue inside
3: this gentleman.
1: Good evening everybody and welcome to another episode of the Ross Family Matters podcast. And we have a very special guest with us. First let's let's set the, the, the regulars, let's set the pins. Hotshot Scott Williams, Jack Spade, Vic the Stick, Ross, Vic. Who do you have sitting to your left? Uh, he was in town, so we figured we'd wrangle him in. It's none other than
3: A.C. Riley, A.K.A. Melissa Banty's favorite
2: wrestler. Yikes! Yeah, oh, you oh. did you did not need to add that.
1: He's also on. He's, he's the Shawn Michaels of Youth Gone Wild too. <laughs> oh. Just so you know.
2: Well, I appreciate that even though my tag partner always indicated he was a Shawn Michaels despite the fact that he quit and then nobody ever heard from him again. So that
3: literally, until the never heard from him again, was Shawn Michaels. He took his ball and went home. True.
2: Did he lose his smile? He probably lost his smile along with a lot of different things. we had
1: have to talk to Derek about that. Well, we'll have a chance as we kind of roll through here to maybe share some stories not from the hat about our time and experiences with Alex Riley, but you know how the format works? I do. If you don't, we have a hat, a fedora full of, it's chucked full of of different topics, now 15% more topics than earlier, because there were some that were added from suggestions over the week. So you're our guest, Alex Riley, and you get to choose the first subject.
2: All right. They
1: all stick together.
2: They all stick together. They are post-it notes. They are post-it notes. But
1: that's not why they stick together. Yikes. Oh, yikes!
2: All and right, and I instantly regret putting my hand in the fedora.
1: All right, let's see what you got. If it's the worst,
2: the worst part is there is actually a hair attached. R- to this, Remember, which really makes you wonder. Remember, what it sometimes my like. sugars
1: are so high it gets real sticky. It came out of my hat. Right.
2: I mean, it's sugar. So, our first topic,
1: uh-huh.
2: meals on wheels, which just got put into the hat today. And you saw the hat
1: get shaken up. I did watch it. Hair. Yes. Okay,
2: good
3: funny how that seems to work sometimes
2: it,
1: well you know they're post-it notes so and it's don't not know john fate
3: you can
0: shake them around as much as you want they just kind of congeal together into a giant just turn
2: into a giant glob
3: glob of things especially thanks to scott's sticky mug butter over there yeah
1: hey i had a, a cinnamon roll for breakfast look out <laughs> <laughs> uh meals
0: on wheels all right well this is going to make us really unpopular with most people
1: um <laughs> As, as as if the other stuff has,
0: yeah. Uh, so, uh, I really wish we had masters here for this part of the yeah. story. Yeah. Fuck them. Um, how do I put meals and wheel meals on wheels into context here for the rest of the group? Just tell the story from the beginning. Yeah. All right. It's a so good place to start. From the very beginning, uh, David Bonner, out in lacrosse had a close friend. Uh, who was coming to the shows, who he may or may not have had a thing for, but she had said she was married.
2: Yep. Oh, Uh, they definitely had a thing. Or he had a thing for her. Yeah, spoiler alert. Oh, sorry. um, We used
0: to have a really sweet thing going on that we could go into the pool in the hot tub area of the hotel we stay at in La Crosse all the time
3: after the pool was closed. Ironically, because the front desk was manned by A.C. Riley's family member. That's
2: true. My sister used to work there for a spell. And I hear
3: that his sister used to work
2: over quite a few people. Hey, hey. Oh, whoa, look out. Uh, so, from what I understand, she was in a very good position for management, so maybe that's why.
0: Oh, right. All right. But, yeah, she helped us out. She was awesome. Uh, and we were in there, and the caveat was you had to be quiet, right? Absolutely. Because rooms could hear you down there. So we're in there, and all of a sudden,
1: she's doing like dives into the pool, cartwheels. Yep. Yeah. Now, who, the, when you say who, you're talking about the person who David Bonner knew. Correct. Okay. So, well, because I didn't want him to think it was AC Riley's sister. That no. would have been weird. No, this is uh, this is Bonner's friend. Gotcha. At one point, she does a cartwheel,
0: and she misses the actual pool, so she lands on the edge of the pool. <laughs> With one leg in the pool, falls into the pool, and then she stays underwater for a while. (laughs) Like, a while. To the point where people are like, oh, maybe we should go down there. But nobody moved. Everybody stayed right where they were. I didn't bring her. But that was our introduction into this uh, this person. And she would continue to come to the shows uh, as our black friend Buck took a liking to her and they became very, very good friends.
3: The best.
0: Coming your way, by the way. Anyway. Anyway. uh, This person uh, decided she was going to bring her friend to shows because she had such a great time.
1: Now her friend... Now before you finish the story, I just want everybody at home who's got access to a smartphone or a device, please look up the cover of the video Ghoulies. <laughs> Please do that right now and I'll let, I'll let you finish your story. Well, she has a disease. I don't know what disease it
0: is. But it's debilitating and degenerative. And it requires the use of a motorized wheelchair. Um, and there is some physical deformity there. But uh, if I had to define this woman, I would use the word thirsty. That's accurate. That's yes. accurate. Because she wanted it. Oh, yeah. And she wanted it from whomever she could get it from. So she's all over the place. Uh, at the show, uh, our boy Blue over here, Vic, Hello. cut a very, very sweet promo
3: on her in which he claimed uh, I didn't claim anything. I asked her to stand up when I was talking to her. Okay. Which, of course, wasn't possible for again, <clears throat> for reference. A very sweet promo. Listen, I just want to defend this for all the people. By the way, do we're we living... Do we need to turn the heat up? Like Peter Gabriel once said, we're living in a swamp tonight. But anyway, uh, Scott Turtle. Um, I lost my train of thought now Yeah, because it is thick here. You're defending... but Oh, yes. The, my thought process behind asking people that are bound to wheelchairs to stand up Is that I am Jesus Christ? That thing is (laughs) hard. I am asking. I am basically treating them the same as I would everybody else in the crowd.
1: See, I thought you were claiming to be Jesus and you were going to help them walk. (laughs) (laughs) All right, (laughs) all right.
3: Things are falling off the rails here. Quickly. But that was my. That was always my train of thought that I'm trying to make them a part of the show like anybody else. I'm trying to, to make them feel welcome. Good night, everyone. night. Good night. Edit what? that part. In fact, edit this whole part. But, <laughs> no, that's great. Whatever. It's raw. Fuck <laughs> it. All right? Yeah. Uh,
0: so, either way, she also wanted to be part of the show. Or part of parts of the show. Part of any part of the show. have parts of the show in her.
3: Yeah. I don't know if she could feel it, but... That's a good question. So we went to the after bar after the show. Everybody had a good time. Yeah, that's true. And then we made our way back to the hotel. And Masters and his friend and now her friend had beaten us back to the hotel because they had more liquor in their room. So Lane and I decided to make our way down there. Oh, and and Scott, sorry. Um, decided to make our way down there. Actually, I think we had Eddie Watson with and us too. And Johnny And yeah, the Pirate <laughs> too. Yeah. So we make our way down there, and there's a little, little party going on in there. A little drinking. So uh, I go over to the fridge and I grab myself a beer. And they're doing was it pudding shots? They were pudding shots. Which is grasshopper pudding and shots, and sounds awful. Oh yeah. But we were not in the room more than a minute. It was not long. A a minute when uh, the friend of a friend, aka Meals on Wheels, announced, hey, check it out. And then she lifted her shirt and showed us her boobs.
0: Yeah, Which were more like Tic Tacs glued to a flat wall.
3: (laughs) Yeah. At which point, in the fastest he's ever moved, Lane turned and left the room without saying a word. I was shortly behind
1: him. Yeah. And so was uh, myself and Eddie. Actually, the last person left, other than the people who were occupying the room, was Johnny Swashbuck. I did not know that. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, we all left him behind to kind of fend for himself.
3: Evidently, there was a point where she vomited, from what I understand. On herself, yeah. She had a bad time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that didn't stop Buck.
1: Allegedly. Allegedly. Although the alleged came from multiple sources, not just... Buck uh, supposedly
3: powered through. (laughs) And that is why the handicapped woman who is in a wheelchair is referred to as Meals on Yeah, you.
0: like if if you have a wish that you need granted what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to talk to Jason Masters because he will grant your wish.
3: Despite, you're going to need it to be a really specific wish.
2: <laughs> now let me ask you this. Do you think that she flashed everyone to to just say, hey, I'm having a good time, or do you think it was a countermeasure to say, hey, get the fuck out.
3: I think it was like in the old days when the butcher would hang the meat in the window. This is available. Mm. Feel free to stop in and get yourself some.
1: All of this could be yours and more. But to your point, Alex, it had that effect. It did. On everybody except and I know Swatchbuckle didn't stay much later but I I had to leave them. I had to leave everybody. So. Everybody, was a moment everybody's
2: got to have that A terrible road trip story, and for that, it was probably for the swashbuckle. Poor guy.
1: Well, you know, it was his first time, and and he hasn't been back. He's not banned, though. You're not either. (laughs) I would like to
2: point out, if we're talking about people banned from RCCW, um, Buck's friend is most definitely banned Mm -hmm. for ringing up a $50 tab and not having a credit card to prove it. Oh, my. And then walking out without letting anybody know. At a
1: sponsor event, right?
2: Absolutely. Oh, wow, that's really terrible. So she is not welcome, but you are always welcome. You know
1: who is banned? Luther Campbell, and he's banned from the USA.
3: (laughs) He's not old enough to know who that is. (laughs) i know who that yeah. Is. Yeah. is is the list any longer is anybody else banned yeah Buck. yeah buck. okay
2: anybody else i think that's it okay. all right live wire. I could t- live wire well livewire is never gonna make it yeah. down here in the is, first is place is he in the
1: hat by the way no
2: he should be right, he should put be livewire i got it we're and watch it's probably gonna be the next thing we fucking draw okay. nope, but you're you're not on the list put it of being banned okay So you are always welcome. There's not a do not allow on the premises with your photo. Shoot on site. There's
1: not a shoot on site photo. There is actually. And then what happens is some little like 112 like amateur wrestler tries to shoot my legs when I come in. But I usually just sprawl and I take them out. Sure. Nice. All right. Here we go. Next subject. Oh. Best Wrestlemania of all time. Ooh. Ooh. Hmm. Well, Riley, you're, you're the new
2: guy. I'm the new guy.
1: Yeah, best one.
2: I think for me, and this is mainly because I saw it within the, within the past year when I was rewatching Raw 96, I would say WrestleMania 12. That was the boyhood dream, correct? Yeah, that was the Iron Man match. I would say WrestleMania 12, I really enjoyed top to bottom. Obviously, everybody was there for the Iron Man match, but I think that uh, stunning or the ringmaster Steve Austin uh, with Savio Vega was a great match. I mean, the the entire card didn't disappoint. It there wasn't a mo- moment on the card where you said, "Okay, I don't really care."
0: What about the backlot brawl between Gold Dust and Pine yeah,
2: That Mike? was if yeah, yeah, and also not them half the time.
3: Well, oh, just for the car chase.
2: Yeah. So it I, was it was great storytelling because uh, they were they were really going over with the whole you know Goldust Roddy Piper feud because he was coming back into the WWF they had a you know, way for Goldust to tie in because Goldust was the movie star and Roddy Piper was actually a movie star right there was a great time there It was a great rub for Goldust um, everything building up to that you know especially again with with Ringmaster and Savio Vega at that at before WrestleMania, Ringmaster was just, he was in matches, he was beating everybody, he was out wrestling everybody, and Ted DiBiase was laughing his head off. And there was nothing that he was doing that was like, okay, what, what's going on? Until Salvio Vega was the guy to keep brawling with them. And it was like, oh, okay, this if, is different.
0: If uh, Ted DiBiase was laughing his head off at a match, what would it sound like? <laughs> All right, now what would it sound like if Ted DiBiase
1: was gay? Oh! <laughs> so problem is decent. I I don't remember. I've I've watched every WrestleMania. I don't remember all of them verbatim. Sure. But and which is why this is probably a more genuine answer. But once there's a few that really stand out. WrestleMania ten stands out for me because of the ladder match, mm-hmm. because of the uh, uh, Brett, the Owen Hart. Brett and Owen Brett in Brett the Owen, opener. Yep. Yeah. So those were really good. I mean those were and and here's why I think it stood out. Up until WrestleMania 10, to get two matches of that quality on a WrestleMania was rare. It was, you know. I mean obviously since, you know, we've had a couple of WrestleManias where they hit it really really hit them out of the park. And then we had WrestleMania 13, which was not. But um and and sadly, the only WrestleMania I ever got to see live and it was the shits. Um, except for the Austin Hart double turn. Um, anyway, um, so I think ten stands out to me just for that alone, sure. um, because that's when, because I I've I, I told the story before. I was an NWA guy first, WWF guy second, mm-hmm. and that was one of the times where, where one of the early moments. Where I'm like, wow, okay, maybe they're starting to get this a little bit. Sure. And I really enjoyed those two matches specifically. So
2: I think there, I think every single WrestleMania is at least on par to at least have one match that you remember. In some cases, as you said, maybe two or three. I think, again, for me, I think that 12 had a great card top to bottom. So it was that album in, uh, that you put in the CD <coughs> player that you listened to from track one to the to the last track. It's Dark Side of the Moon. Exactly. So or Riding
1: it's, Pinata from Sponge. Stop
2: yourself. So it wasn't, a, okay, I like this match. This one, I don't care about. I'm not going to pay attention. You paid attention to everything. At least that's what I did with, with 12. And again, you have the, the, the one-hour Ironman match where nobody got a pin. Mm-hmm. You know, Grill Monsoon comes out saying, we're going to have a winner, guaranteed, restart the match at five minutes. And the frustration from Bret Hart that he just put on this clinic with Michaels, he thought he was done. Mm-hmm. Everybody else thought, okay, he retains by, you know, the champion's advantage. And then they put on another great five minutes. I don't know if it's the best
3: WrestleMania, but my personal favorite is WrestleMania three. You got the big Hogan and Andre in the main. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. First time I ever saw Andre the Giant get slammed before. Right. Only to find out later that it happened. That it happened plenty of times, yeah. Yeah,
2: That was probably the heaviest he was when he got slammed. That's true. Um, Definitely the, the most iconic of wrestlemania moments it's it's always played it when you realize
1: season that comes kamala out. actually slammed andre
2: mm-hmm. in like 1980
3: yeah yeah um but. i was also a big uh british bulldogs fan yeah as yeah, a kid very good and you had the bulldogs and i believe it was tito santana take on the heart foundation mm-hmm. and danny davis the mm-hmm. evil referee at the time Oh yeah. And obviously the best match on the card was Macho Man and the Dragon for the Intercontinental title. One of the best matches
1: ever. Yeah. And a great
3: story leading up to it. Mm -hmm. Great story leading up
1: to it. So do you sell any extra credit to the fact that they had the the motorized uh, mini rings that took everybody to and from the back?
3: Uh, That didn't necessarily add anything, but I was amused to find out later in life that those were forklifts with uh, little little rings built on them. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, by the way, shout out to your choice, Riley, for WrestleMania 12. Also, the debut of the Wild Man, Mark
1: Merrow. Yes. That's why you like it. Yep.
2: I think, and again, talking about the entire WrestleMania because that's because you know there was a lot of great stories to tell the next night on Monday Night Raw because you had Mark Merrow have the interaction with Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Who just came off the loss against the Ultimate Warrior? His valet at the time, who was Sable, was the actual, you know, also had her career begin there as well.
1: Right, probably led to the turning out of Sable after she probably hooked up with Trips and then she probably got passed around. Turning out. She got turned out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and
0: whatnot. I have a hard time with this because I've got three in mind and I don't know which one to choose from. So I've got WrestleMania 6 the forefront with the way better
1: than it had any right to be way better uh hogan warrior match and, and and do you before you fit do you give that a little bit more credit because a that match was better than it should have been and two because hogan actually did the job i mean and we found out clean. later why right i mean because of you know some of the other obligations he had but at that time i never expect because i was already kind of smart to it um you know, because I was, you know, at that time, like, 17. But I still was like, there's no way Hogan's losing. There's no way Hogan's losing. And he lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was just a...
3: And, like, that match would be good now. Yeah. I just want to point out to people that have no idea. As a kid, I didn't see Hulk Hogan lose for four years. yeah From 84 to 88. And the loss he had to Andre was a fuck finish. Where his shoulder was up, but the evil ref still counted three. All right. And then he didn't lose again until 1990, so essentially he didn't lose for six years
1: clean. So it was like UCLA basketball of the late 60s and early 70s. I mean, so let me ask you this before you go on to to finish, because I I, I, Sure. But we, we should ask the question one day, what was the least interesting run? The run Hogan had, where he only lost once in four years, one of the ridiculous Backlund runs or the Bruno San Martino run that lasted, what, uh, seven years? I, San Martino and Backlund are basically
0: the same person. But Backlund was just a little less over. Right. And so more
1: ethnic. Well,
0: San Martino. Martino. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: But, so I would have to say Backlund was the worst run. Okay. Yeah, because I, I didn't... Now, thankfully, I read about the tail end of that run. I never got to see it live. I did see Backlund when he did his comeback as a crazy guy who, you know, screwed over Bret Hart and all that else. But I can't imagine that that could have been... And I've seen Backlund matches, obviously, now in perpetude. But I can't imagine that that had to be fun to watch. (laughs) Nah. But anyway.
0: I mean, uh, and then, so the other two that I'm kind of kicking around is uh, 17. many 17. Walston Rock. Austin Rock, and it's mostly because of that amazing Limp Bizkit video Oh God. Fuck you. That they did to build up to Austin
1: Rock. Yeah! So which uh, budding young musician did uh, Fred Durst steal that song from? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I don't know. Okay.
0: And then you have the Gimmick Battle Royal on that one too. I love the, that one. Where the Iron Sheik couldn't get to the ring. He's actually still on his way there now. <laughs> Uh, and then for more recent times, 30.
3: Okay. Which 30 uh, was,
0: helped me out. 30 was the Daniel Bryan one. Sure, oh, yeah, that was a great one. Yeah. And it had the rock and, uh, <coughs> or not rock, uh, John Cena and Bray Wyatt, which was also so, a very.
1: So did you like that backlink, or that I uh, my apologies, that Daniel Bryan one better than the one the previous year? 29. Yeah. That
2: was was that, that the one he re-
3: lost in 30 seconds yeah, in the okay. open
2: yeah. for the World Heavyweight title. Yeah. Which by the way was one of the things I always wondered because every single Royal Rumble was always you you main event WrestleMania. And then here's Sheamus opening the card. Granted, if that was the main event for 3 seconds, a lot of people would be pissed. So I get it. But all I remember just walking into it is realizing, okay, so Sheamus and Daniel Bryan is the opener but he won the Royal Rumble.
1: Let let me ask you this. You're you're a technical guy as far as radio TV production, right? Could somebody tell me how the hell, for the last decade or so, WrestleMania is a five-plus hour show, and they still can't manage their time, and they have to rush through things? I mean, how many matches have gotten ruined in the last decade because we found out later they had a short number cut-up? Like, how do you let that happen? You have... A huge budget of, producer, of producers, you have all this time, you have months of planning out some of this stuff, and they still can't hit those things tight. This year, they didn't even try it out because it's on a network. It was like, screw it, we'll just go six hours. Yeah. How do you not do it? I, I just don't get it.
2: See, I honestly, I feel like sometimes the, uh, the performances definitely take away from the show. I think it'd be one thing... So like Wrestlepalooza and Mondeluxia, they do this where they have wrestling, they have live entertainment, they have burlesque, and those shows are about three hours with everything put together. WrestleMania, you can do that, sure, to entertain to that audience and everything, but I feel like a lot of people, and this probably is a duh statement, but a lot of people are there to see all the wrestling. Right. You know, I think it's fine if you have some of the celebrities involved, you know, like if you have, you know, some celebrities do promos with the wrestlers or something like that, or interactions or something like that, that's fine because that's only about a minute. But, you know, someone doing a 10-minute concert because it's a theme song for WrestleMania, at that point, the crowd's like, take it fucking home.
1: Well, that, and I know that... Me especially. Yeah. They do a great job with their video packages. It's a great time to go to the bathroom. They, they always Sorry. have done a great job with their transition pack, just showing the history of what led up to this. But they <coughs> overdo it a little bit in WrestleMania, and they don't have to. They've already bought the show. Yeah. So how about you scale some of those back a little bit? You've yeah, already got them. They know what the main event is. They know why John Cena hates The Rock. Yeah. We don't need to see it five times in five hours.
3: Especially now more so with it being on the network. You know that you showed this. Before the pay-per-view started, right? Why are we watching it again?
2: Absolutely. I think there's nothing wrong with the packages, but less is more. Right. So the main event, sure. You know, a title match that maybe is somewhere in the card, but it's for the heavyweight title, sure. But not, oh, these two have been bickering backstage, and now they're fighting here.
1: You know what else less is is, is more? Is when your name is Lester Sebastian Moore. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Very good.
2: That yeah. was a stretch, but that was good. I'll Is he that. related
1: to Manny More? <laughs> I I'm Manny More. Damn it. <laughs> uh. So, Jesse, apparently we have to make a promo for our podcast, but I'm not exactly sure what we're supposed to say. Oh, come on, Nick. We just got to talk about Grapple Talk, where we talk about wrestling. It doesn't matter if it's the national stuff or the local stuff. That's true. I mean, regardless if it's WWE or our Spotlight in the Squared Circle segment where we highlight local talent, we cover it all.
0: Oh, we also got to plug the social media. That's
1: right. Facebook.com slash the Grapple Talk, and you can follow us on Twitter at the Grapple Talk.
0: Man, that was a really good promo.
1: That was. High five. Hi. Yeah. Yes,
0: yeah, so I'll take my eggs over easy, and I'll take my podcast podcast, Deach and Dash. That's right, the Deach and Dash podcast hosted by me, gorgeous Jordy Lee, available via the Grapple Talk Network. It's about to get weird. We're going to talk some wrestling, maybe, some life, probably, and I'm definitely going to ask whether you prefer ketchup or mustard. Catch us via the Grapple Talk Network and wherever iPods are available to you. iPods or podcasts? God, I'm the worst.
3: All right. better go this way because I know where I put that gimmick a minute ago. Okay, this one uh, this one's going to suck. Oh boy. Uh, The question is, why is Jim so funny? Ha ha.
0: Let me see that one. Yeah, that must be from one of Jim's kids because Jim was never funny.
3: So, uh, you know. But... Jim was funny because he had a dry wit. Yes. He had a dry wit, but also when the joke didn't go his way, he'd really he'd really needle you to try to get the reaction. Really he'd, hammer it home. Yeah, like, sure. so, ah, ah. It's like
1: Fozzie Bear? Right, yeah. kind of. Yeah. Um, I always I appreciate He, You know, it's funny because I felt he was funnier than... In some cases, even than Masters, because Masters was funny because he was just...
2: Just a train wreck. Right. Sometimes, right.
1: Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I think all together, you know, the eclecticness of the humor in this group, I mean, it certainly was a great balance to what what we do. Yeah. This, this could have also been written about you. Well, we know why well, you're... Same funny.
0: answer,
3: not funny. Yeah, I know, I know. Is Bob Hope funny? No, yeah, of course
1: Bob Hope is funny but he has golf Bob Hope is not funny. He's never at I least never, not in my no, lifetime. Never in my lifetime either. It was always the same uh the same kind of you know, he was the first guy he was Cliff he was Cliff Clavin. He never had a punchline knew a joke. It was always like, hey, how about these Russians with their nuclear weapons? Isn't that something? How about th- where's the joke? Blah 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 blah. Yeah.
3: Alright, what do you got? Reading an effective angle. No, oh.
1: You need a protractor.
3: First, you're gonna need some paper.
2: Right? Are we making math jokes right here. A- effective angle. Yeah, 45 degrees. And they said you would never that you would, and everybody thinks that they would never use math outside of high school.
1: Well, fuck Vic, that Vic the Stick Ross will tell you that you're wrong because he uses geometry when he plays pool all the time.
2: That's that is yeah. accurate. Yeah. So
0: sometimes. All you need to have an effective angle is to bury a sledgehammer
3: inside of somebody's head. Right. Yeah. Right. And then that person bleeds out on the floor, and then six months to a year later, you go online and you take credit for getting that guy over when really it was the angle prior to that that really put him over
1: the top. So, we've (laughs) talked about in recent times, we've talked about. um, I helped. We we talked about the 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 Maru angle that you guys ran in our CCW, right Yeah, but again I think it's a perfect example of an effective angle because I think the most important part of an effective angle is to get everybody bought in not just the people doing the angle but everybody watching and the other thing is you want to build enough suspense and know the right time to to finally turn that angle and it's a balancing act because you can teeter on being too quick and hot-shotting it or boring people and they become impatient and lose interest. Right. So you have to be able to know how to feel that out. Feel that out, feel that out. I thought that angle was, was perfectly done. It's recent. I know there's others that you guys can think of and others on a major scale we can talk about. But I really think what it is is about taking the fans and strapping them into a roller coaster and say i'm running this show i'm going to take you up i'm going to bring you down and i'm going to decide when when we're going to hit that big hill the big finish and i I think if you don't get that response or get fans involved it doesn't really matter how much time you spent writing it if the timing's off the angle won't have the same payoff
0: all right yeah i think that you're looking to do two things so Number one, you're either there to let the fans know they were right all along. Right. And they've been waiting for it. They've been waiting for this moment, and they know what's going to happen. And then it finally happens, and then there's that sense of relief. Or you have that moment where they know what's going to happen, and then you subvert it. Mm -hmm. And you go the opposite direction and completely throw them off.
1: Yes, and those are very effective as well. Great heel turns.
3: And harder to do these days. Absolutely. Because people are smarter to the business. Yep.
1: You know, here's what I always hated, and I always wish they would have done it differently, and I'm going to share a story of an angle I wanted to do uh, with Steve Santana, and we just never finished it, okay? Um, But I like, I hate when you have a tag team that's about to break up, and a guy teases it, and you know it's coming, and then he turns heel, and that's it. Right. Because there's really it's lazy booking, and there's really no payoff in it.
2: And it's overdone.
1: Right. You knew it was gonna. Happen. The only thing that made the Shawn Michaels Marty Jannetty thing cool was he threw him through a window, but everybody knew it was coming. Right. right. They led up to that for months. Right. So I actually would have preferred to something goalie. I would have preferred Marty act like an ass. And Sean is the one who ends up going heel out of the blue, and he was the the jerk to begin with, right? I don't like the the easy, you know, just take the easy road to it. Um, So a good out of the blue heel turn still makes me feel, you know, Ronnie Garvin rubbing money on himself. (laughs) Um, You know, things of that nature. Um, That wasn't the action that made him a heel. (laughs) That actually put him over in my book. Right, the action was he turned on his good friend out of the blue and, you didn't expect it, Hulk Hogan. I mean, as much as I, I, I will lamb, lambaste and, and lampoon and blast the NWO and how it went on too long and it became too big. Hulk Hogan turning heel was not something anybody expected, especially if you know the ins and outs and you know the the, the storylines and you know the backstage politics and Hogan wanted to be the guy all the time. Nobody would have thought that was coming. Oh
2: yeah, because if you look at Bash at the Beach. You saw the outsiders, you know, just destroying the main event. You have Hulk Hogan, who was just recently signed, and everybody knows him as being basically America's hero. Mm -hmm. He walks out. I got to correct you. Okay. He had actually been there for two years prior to that. Yeah. He came in in 94. Okay. Yeah. Excuse me.
3: But still. But that actually is what helped make it harder to see coming because he was on top for two years. As the big savior to WCW. Yep, yeah, fighting that off one. Dungeon of Doom. And then all of a sudden, BAM.
2: He dropped the leg on Macho and he was the number one villain. Because in every other instance of of that kind of angle, if you see that you know that giant baby face in the match, and you have the you know the heels beaten down on whoever, they think, okay, he's gonna put the stop to this and I actually, drive him out.
1: I actually thought at one, watching it live when he came out at first I was pissed because I'm like, so wait a minute, they just start this angle and Hogan has to insert himself in and beat up and beat Hall, like, you know what I mean? Because that's what Hogan would have done. Right, right. right. In the past he'd be like, well I can't let somebody else get over, I gotta come in and kill that. So I just thought it was Hogan exerting his creative control and going in to hot shot the killing of the NWO.
3: Sure. To me, if you go back and watch it, <coughs> He kind of, um, he kind of, you can tell he's going to turn. And not because of what Bobby Heenan says, right, which he gets. Because he's not as demonstrative as he always is. Like, Hulk Hogan would always come out and the head would be shaking and the arms would be going. And when he comes out to join the NWO, he takes a slow saunter tor- towards the ring. He's in no hurry. He doesn't acknowledge the fans at he's all. He's kind
1: of
2: like, hey, what's going on over here?
3: Right. Sure.
1: Right. Yeah, I suppose that's a good point. And again, leave it to Hogan and not dot the I's and cross the T's. And right. what could have been a, a good... So what do you think the best angle you've ever seen or ever enjoyed or that kind of sticks in your head as a wrestling fan, aside from the one we just talked about, where, like, wow, that was great. Whether it's a storyline that went, you know, the right amount of time, whether it was a, a turn one way or the other, like, is there one that stands out for you guys? It's tough. So
0: trying to think back to when I started watching, when I really started to get into it, and I'm going to go with uh I think a couple ECW ideas. Oh. Yep. Oh boy. So there was the forever long build up between Taz and Shane Douglas where Shane Douglas kept ducking Taz and finally had to wrestle him. Okay. Um And inside of that, there was actually a secondary angle that was actually pretty cool of, like, Al Snow and Shane Douglas had a little mini thing while Taz was there as well. And the storyline was that Shane Douglas was the shit heel, right? But he was also working super injured. Like, he had a broken jaw, he had a broken, like, elbow, he had back, back problems, but he was, like, wrestling these matches. And Taz kept wanting to work him, and he kept... Bagging off a of Taz with the injuries And going elsewhere But unlike most shit heel things The injuries were always Played as legitimate Like he had legitimate All right, injuries yeah, right, right, right. Uh, And that made that Kind of special for him uh, And then inside of that You had Al Snow who had come in and done this Crazy gimmick with the head where he's talking to the head And he's insane and then they just kind of ignore that when he works Shane Douglas, and they just talk about how Al Snow has worked in the business for, uh, you know, 16 years or however long he had been in the business at that point, and nobody ever saw him as a as a main guy. And if you go back and you watch it, it's Russell Palooza '98. Um, that place goes insane when Al Snow comes
1: out. Yeah, the styrofoam heads the are styrofoam everywhere. Styrofoam heads, yeah. I You know, I will say this. though, so As much as I don't like most ECW angles for one reason or another and a lot of things, I, I will say that one that stood out was the way they, they built Raven and Dreamer and how they used Dreamer's kid as part of the angle. Sandman. That was a Sandman. Oh, it's, I'm sorry. yeah uh, Sandman's kid as part of the angle. Um, that was good. And there was a lot of stuff that, that they did early on because they were... They had the time to do it. Like, it didn't matter. They were on midnights, one in the morning, if you could find them anywhere. They didn't have, like, a network saying, hey, we've got to get all these guys on TV. Sometimes you didn't see a guy for four or five weeks because they would tape. You know, it wasn't like now where you see the same guy. You got to, every week, you got to get Roman Reigns in. You got to get Miz in. You got to they didn't have that problem. It's like, oh, we're just going to run, like, Ring of Honor just now. <laughs> yeah. You aren't going to see those guys every week because they're doing, one match at a tv taping and you'll maybe get them once a month on tv which kind of makes it special too yeah, back
2: I agree. back in 96 with monday night raw they you know they were pushing austin you know after he won king of the ring he'd be on one show i remember and then i think it would be three other shows he might have some kind of promo he might be doing stuff with the studio but he wasn't at the show right He would be involved for like five minutes, but it wouldn't be about him. And they were really good about cycling everybody through so you wouldn't get sick of them, like you were saying.
1: Well, and the other thing that still kind of makes me mad is, so we have all this TV now. WWE has, you know, five hours before the brand split, and even with the brand split, they still do Mm co-promotions. Five hours of that, plus recap shows, plus, 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 and they do a pay-per-view, and you only care about two matches. And yet, back in the 80s and 90s, they you, you at least cared. They were st- they made you care at least about nine matches on a 12 match show. Now you care about like two, and the other ones are throwaways.
2: Everything had purpose, and you wanted to see the end of every single match.
1: What's your favorite angle of all time? Uh,
3: it would have been when Terry Funk came out of retirement and attacked mm-hmm. Ric Flair.
1: That was great.
3: So the match was Ricky the Dragon Steamboat versus Ric Flair for the NWA World Title and they had judges at ringside in the event that it would go to the time limit. Terry Funk being one of those judges. Actually the youngest judge at the ripe old age of 40. Um, After the match Ric Flair was in the ring having an interview with Jim Ross and Terry Funk came in and was complimentary Uh and asked if he could have a title shot and Ric Flair said, no, Terry, you know, there's, there's challengers. You would have to... You're not even an active competitor.
1: Yeah, kind of jabbed them for being out right. making movies. And, and Terry and Funk laughed it off and said, hey,
3: I'm just an old fool. I don't know what I'm talking about. And then he promptly attacked Ric
1: Flair and gave
3: him a pile driver on the table.
1: Which was like the, the least gimmicked wood piece of crap table you could
3: ever right. find. Right, the table did not break... And in fact, any danger to Ric Flair's neck was when they toppled over the table. Um, But that just led to so many things like Terry Funk attacking Ric Flair and putting a plastic bag over his head and then taping it on there to try to suffocate him.
1: Um, Yeah, it was the first time I remember in all the years of watching wrestling that somebody... Yeah, this was before Undertaker was killing people and crucifying them, and a the cameraman didn't call 911. This was the first time ever in the history of my watch resume where somebody tried to kill somebody. What
3: I loved about that, by the way, was the interviews for the next two weeks after, where Terry Funk had to come out and apologize. Yes. And he would say, Now you kids at home, you don't try any of this because it's dangerous, but damn it, Ric Flair, i do it again. So that, that was my personal personal favorite angle. Just that year of Ric Flair and Terry Funk tearing at each other, culminating in an I Quit match on a Clash of the Champions, which was just fantastic.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and then ended up involving Sting and Muda. Sting and Muda and uh, the Horsemen coming back. Do you know, I'll throw a quick sidebar honorable mention to a NWA angle, and it was when Sting had blown out his knee. Okay, and uh, this was afterwards, and trying to get into a cage in Milwaukee, actually. Blew out his knee. Um, so they had to scrap his push, and then they ended up giving Luger, who was a heel... Um, Rex Ruger. The, a title match, and they didn't. the intention wasn't to turn Lex Luger face, but they had to because their top baby was out. And then you had Sting get out there giving him the, uh, the pep talk and slapping him at ringside. Then he actually ended up giving up his, his chance to win the match to go save Sting from a beating from the Andersons. I thought that was well done That was well. good
3: stuff too, yeah. yeah. Wait.
1: I already talked. What?
2: I think I... I mean, I, I enjoy a lot of different storylines, a lot of feuds, a lot of uh, moments. I just love good storytelling. I think we all do. Um, I would say the two that come to my mind as some of my favorites one would be uh triple h and mcfoley um back would have been uh 2000 2000 because um, uh, just the idea that triple h was trying to get mcfoley out he was past his prime whatever you want to call it and the idea that he beat him so bad that mankind couldn't make no way out but he had somebody else that would be more than happy to take that position so cactus jack walks out and just. The idea that Triple H just sold that like he just saw a ghost. Because then you got excited for No Way Out. You knew it was going to get crazy. And then the Hell in the Cell, of course, you know, falling off the cell once again. Because everybody was waiting for that moment to happen. They knew it was going to happen. Because they thought it was going to be Mick Foley's comeuppance. He was going to get Triple H. He was going to get him out. He was going to stay around. And he lost. And it was disappointing. But it was a great storytelling because it was just the idea of, okay... Here he is, he's coming back, he's Cactus Jack, he's a badass, and he still loses. And it was a nice
3: callback to Cactus Jack's first uh, appearance, Mick Foley's first appearance as Cactus Jack in the WWF. Right. Because that was against
2: Triple H on Monday Night Raw. Absolutely. And then, I would say, for, for recent storylines, I would say I really enjoyed the storyline between... Uh, Dysfunction and Sierra at BCW.
1: That was really well
2: done. Yeah. Uh, just for the idea that you had, essentially, the black sheep and the golden child. Dysfunction and Sierra, and you had Dysfunction trying to
1: both trainees of Frankie Defalco. Which definitely is important in this. Because in you know you
2: had Sierra, who obviously was publicly endorsed by Frankie Defalco, and you had Dysfunction that was slighted and, and he, made it known that he, he was. He was very upset of. What he was given versus what she was given, and then of course the payoff was that they, you know, they both turned on Frank, and then it became almost a Stockholm syndrome kind of situation where it wasn't good versus evil; it was evil, you know, corrupting good.
1: Right. So, and and I, I and that payoff is coming in like a month and a half, which would be interesting. Mm-hmm. A month, right? In January. So here's here's an angle I wrote and. I think it would have it would have worked for this reason, so let's imagine you have two people who feud for a year, okay, and they're bitter enemies they hate each other okay so let's say in this for case of 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 names alex riley and and uh jack spade you you're the face alex you guys are fighting 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 you guys end up in a in a double ladder match for the tag titles, and somehow some way um you know uh, Jack Spade is down. Alex Riley's up at the top. He's about to unhitch both belts. Jack Spade's partner pushes you off the ladder. You hold one belt, you drop the other one. Jack Spade, it lands on him. Now you two are forced to team. Okay? Now, Jack Spade has two other people that run with him. Let's call him the Rossman.
2: Okay? In theory?
1: Sure. Sure. Now, that makes sense. the, the storyline is instead of <coughs> him just turning on you or you guys forfeiting the belt, the authority figure of that company says, who's not a heel, because I hate the heel authority figure, says, we're not doing this this way. If either one of you turn on the other one, um, I'm, no, I'm sorry. If Jack Spade, if you turn on Alex Riley, you're fired. Okay? Right. You can't drop the belts. You can lose them, but you have to lose them legitimately. So, as you guys start defending the titles, you get two or three matches in to your defense, and, and you're starting to gel a little bit as a team. To the point where the Roth family is actually trying to kick your ass and Jack Spade's like, no, 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 don't worry. We're, we're good. We got this. We got this. We got this. And the payoff comes when you, Alex Riley, end up turning on Jack Spade and joining the Roth family.
2: Yes. Now, that would
1: be something that nobody would see coming. Right. So, that would, to me, that would be a, a, a start, something you could do for a year, year and a half and it not get really old. And a, it would come out of nowhere because you'd show no signs of it. Right. See what I mean? Like, So that's an angle that I wanted to write at, at some point because I thought it would have just gotten over because nobody would have seen it coming.
0: I just argued an angle with this uh, with Vic the other day, and we actually came to an impasse where we didn't agree on it, where I talked about how a, some companies should have a triple threat championship that's only ever defended in triple threat matches. Okay.
2: Doesn't SSW have one of those? I don't
0: think so. Uh, Maybe. Maybe. Uh, I haven't seen it, but uh, I thought it'd just be a really cool idea. And in my head, the way to get that belt over at first is you have like four or five shows where the belt keeps changing hands because the match is such a difficult match. It's volatile. Tom. Yeah, right. there's no yes, championship
2: yes, advantage. So the
0: story begins, or the story begins to take place that that belt is really hard to hold, and then you put it on to the shit heel, who starts doing the. The cheating every match and holding the title. Okay. Which you can do that for, build that up for five, six, seven shows. So you're talking, for most places, this could be a year, year and a half. Like, this could be a long time.
3: Um, Um, It's my contention, however, uh that because it's a new belt, you can't change it every month or every show for four shows because it shits on the title right out of the gate.
1: Okay, so you feel that would be more like the way the WWF is using the Hardcore Championship. And I equated it to
3: the main event picture back in the late 90s where it seemed like the world title changed every month.
1: And the only place that that worked is Memphis. And I referenced yeah. it as Memphis booking yeah, cause in our be, argument. because Jerry Lawler was a 94-time Southern heavyweight right. champion, and that's like...
0: But to me, the the story just becomes that that belt is hard to
3: hold, mm-hmm.
0: and that's what builds that angle.
3: So but oh, it's not that I don't understand what you're shooting for. I just don't feel like that's the way you start. I,
1: with I it. will counter though that while you're right at, in the beginning, it would it would it would make the belt look less prestigious. It would also make the shitty heel who ends up holding it for a long time it would legitimate legitimize him as a top heel in the company and then galvanize the title. If
3: people still give a shit by that point. Sure, sure. okay. Right, but that
0: all that story has to be that heel is doing whatever he can to keep that title. Every single match, it has to be more creative and more shitty and more out of the ordinary. Obviously, eventually that shit heel loses to uh, a very, you know, uh, a never-say-die babyface.
3: Aaron Sacrifice.
0: Billy Gunn. Billy Gunn. We'll go with Billy Gunn. Uh,
3: who? Jason Allen.
0: We're gonna stick with Billy Gunn. <laughs> that's a good call. Uh, who holds that belt and wins the matches cleanly for a period of time? But you're still talking like that's three years. You could draw off of one belt, one a nonstop ongoing angle.
3: You can uh, you can strap up Billy Gunn if you want to, but you better make sure every show is climate controlled. <laughs>
1: Uh, now you gotta tell that story. Nope. I, Doesn't fit. I got an idea for a thing I was wanted to book too, and I, I would want to do it with a guy who was an upper mid car baby card babyface who had had some luck and had some success. I should say, wasn't a, a, an unknown or wasn't a jobber, and all of a sudden he started to run into bad luck. So, for example, before his match, there'd be like somebody come out with a water cannon and like douse the the front row and, like, throw out shirts, and it was supposed to be a fun segment, but he would get too much water on one of the turnbuckles, and when this guy was about to win, he'd get up to that buckle and slip because it was too wet, and he'd lose. Sure. Okay? And he'd keep having these things happen to the point where he'd, one time he'd bring a horseshoe to the ring to to break the bad luck because it'd been, like, three or four months now where he couldn't get a win. Sure. And he would, like, you know, inadvertently get reversed and headfirst take the the horseshoe, right? So now this guy who was winning ends up losing with bad luck and then that's how you turn him heel because he finally listens to a manager say, look, you need my help, yada, yada. But I think you could have some comedy in there, right? You know, kind of like when, we, and we could talk about this in another time, the idea we had to do the Ross family uh, uh, talent search um, <laughs> where I was looking for a tag team partner because Jack Spade was doing some single stuff, right? So we would bring in somebody new every time and sometimes it was a rookie, sometimes it was an established dude, sometimes it was an even a babyface. And every time in the tag match, he would do all the work and be about to win and I'd tag myself in and I'd take the loss and then we'd fire him and take the shirt away because we'd blame him for the sure. loss, even right. though he had nothing to do with it. But you can't you'd have to do that obviously with a heel like me. Like you sure. couldn't do it with somebody who you wanted to be respected after the fact. But I think you can do comedy angles too and make them funny if they're smart. So,
0: what is the biggest waste of an angle that you guys have ever had? Like that you haven't been able to do, or that you saw, and that you had to finish early? And like,
1: well, I'll tell you when I saw that had nothing to do with anything. I was part of the whole invasion angle <laughs> in WWE. It was a waste of an angle. It was, it was Vince McMahon allowing his ego to still feel like he had to beat down the competition that he now owned. And he just, that thing could have had so much potential. So I'm
3: going to agree with you, but Jim Crockett did the exact same thing in 1987? With the UWF. When he bought the UWF. You're right. Um, Dr. Death came in as the UWF champion. Yeah. And on the first big show they had, where do you think on the card he defended that title? What match? Two. One or two?
0: Two. Yeah. Yeah. Two
3: against Barry Windham. It was the, uh, the headbutt n- to the
0: nut. Chicago, doom. the Chi-Town Rumble. Yeah,
3: the shytown
1: town yeah. Rumble. That is
0: one of my favorite moments ever in a match. If you can go see, I think it's Chi-Town Rumble 89? No, it's before that. It's e- got to be like 87. 87. I still don't know how much of this is a shoot or how much of it is a work. But they do a spot where uh, Dr. Death whips Barry Windham off of the ropes... Does the drop down, Wyndham goes over, he comes around, he turns around, he does the leapfrog. When Wyndham goes under, Wyndham's head hits Doctor Death right in the bojangles. Yeah. Square in the Square in the groin. And Doctor Death screams. Oh my. Crumples. Sure. The referee pulls Wyndham into the corner. Who comes over and checks, hey man, sorry about your nuts. And then... Because it was baby baby. Yeah. But like literally, they sold this spot in this match, no shit, five
3: minutes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Which, by the way, baby baby is proof further that they really didn't give a shit whether that match got over or not.
1: Correct. And and another thing that happened during that UWF buyout was they were going to put the UWF version of the TV title on Sting. And Dusty, because they had already bought the company, they just hadn't finalized it, made them put it on Terry Taylor because the intention was for Nikita to destroy Terry Taylor. Right. And they, they They, the only person they really valued in that merger was Sting, and they wanted to keep Sting hot. So Dusty Rhodes was one of the guys that said, nope, we're not doing it. Put it on Taylor so we can just... Because who, who gives a shit about Terry Taylor? Right. Not me. No,
3: right. Not me. Riley, what do you got... The do you worst. remember the original topic?
2: We really uh, spanned out there. Yeah. Uh, worst use of an angle? Yeah. Worst Angles use that didn't quite come to like fruition.
1: You had going that you had to stop in the middle and you wish you could have kept Be- going. Because the caveat is on the indie circuit, a lot of that could have to do with either injury or politics or somebody quits halfway through an angle. There's probably a lot, mm-hmm. probably dozens of those where an angle was on the right track and. Somebody got mad at somebody okay. and they quit the company. So I mean that happens. I'm sure a lot. So
2: again, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the cop out and just do the one that sticks to my head. Preval, preval uh, prevalently, I can't speak English. Right. You went to college,
3: folks. Yeah. yeah,
2: I went to college for eight years, for the record, and I can't say that word. But anyways, as far as why the waste the waste of an angle, um, in recent memory, again on the indie scene, would probably be when you came back, Jack Spade. I'm pointing, but obviously the the listeners don't yeah, know that podcast so the the idea was it was there was a Halloween show you were dressed in costume, you were the the supermarket for Jason masters. you get really excited were you and, wearing
1: a mascot head
2: you, not a mascot head, just a scream mask scream oh, and a the
1: and the head. full the it should full have been run. like a chipmunk or a beaver or something
2: it was uh it was uh Chris black versus Jason masters, Chris black had. Just moved to the Alaska area. Derek wanted to bring him in because obviously you guys vouch for him and he's a great worker and he was local, so it made sense. Okay, cool. we'll, we'll put him with Jason Masters because Lane's got this feud here, this storyline idea. So, of course, you know, he's dressed in costume because it's a Halloween show and that's encouraged. Gets really excited when Jason Masters does his spot, blindsides him. Holy shit, it's Jack Spade. Mm -hmm. But they more marked out when they realized it was you when they saw your ass, opposed to your face. So there you go.
0: Yeah, that did happen.
2: That's, it was, the idea was there and it was great, but then Masters got, you know, to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of there being actual fruition with you guys building up to this finish. It just kind of turned into you and Chris Black tagging.
1: Sure, and you wonder how much that happened even back in the Territory days, where yeah. it's like we, we're building this, we're building this, we're building this, oh, he jumped ship and went to, you know, uh, Southwest Championship Wrestling or yeah. whatever, you know, and then they have to cover and bail because they've taped five weeks of TV ahead of time, like, oh, shit. Now what do we do? You know, how do we get because out of
2: Because if, if it wasn't Masters trying to get a bus and somehow being ungodly late, or just not showing up, or something. Because yeah. I remember Derek had told me what you had pitched to him, and I remember saying, I remember thinking like, yeah, that that'll work because it would show a lot of that animosity with the Ross family and just the storyline, the chemistry that you guys have had from over the years. And it didn't work because Masters got in the way.
1: It's sad that that loop didn't get closed. I mean, it's fine <laughs> now because Vic's back, but it was supposed to be. I mean, he was. If things would have worked out the way we planned mm-hmm. he was responsible for Vic leaving he would have been responsible for me leaving it would have been the, a perfect revenge angle for the people who have followed and brought, absolutely you know but,
0: and it would have allowed me to come in and show a different side right because that's where you get like the the actual brutality and the brawling and the fighting and the the wanting to fight somebody as opposed to the chicken shit heel
2: right that you get. All the time, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, you guys got to do some cool stuff as a tag team. It's true, but obviously that wasn't the
1: primary. But but that's where people who are smart and people who have good good minds for the business can take you know chicken shit and make chicken salad out of it yeah. for lack of a different cliche. Um, and that's what you guys were able to do then, and and then that worked great, and then. Fortune, uh, bad luck, but good luck from a booking set happened because then you hurt your knee and you're able to do that piece of it. <coughs> so having the right people behind it pitching angles and ideas, I think you can save stuff like that. so absolutely. yeah,
0: my favorite part, by the way, of that Halloween show was I basically I worked everybody, so I got there, I didn't come to the building, I got the costume on, I put the mask on. I came in with everybody else, I paid admission, they stamped my hands. They were supposed to have a seat ready for me, but they didn't. So I had to find Derek and be like, where's my seat? He walks me over to a seat, and it's next to Grub. It's uh, Melissa Banty's seat. So the whole first half of the show, because I have to sit through the whole first half of the show waiting. She's like next to me going, I took my seat. <laughs> Hope you enjoy that seat <laughs>
1: it's a fucking seat so it's the, a chair now let me ask you one last follow-up to that if am i mistaken that it was this just an idea that we talked about openly or did it was there a plan that at the next show somebody else was going to be wearing the same costume and the plan was it was you right that was when you were supposed to come in to be my new manager
0: right with vic being out was you were supposed to have the mask and the costume on and come out during his match, which causes him to lose the match because he goes out, chases you, brings you back in the ring, does the big reveal, reveal. of pulling the mask off. It's you. He takes the step back, and I'm,
1: I'm there to attack him again right. and leave him laying again. And the exclamation point to that would have been to go even deeper down the black scorpion well would have been the show after that some poor, unsuspecting fan should have had it on, and Masters attacks him before the show and beats the shit out of him only to reveal that it's some make a wish kid or something <laughs> <laughs> which I thought would have been because now you're getting into his mind right you're kind of
2: you're yeah. super band you
1: yeah. would have you would have thought the
0: wheelchair would have been a dead giveaway. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hey guys, this is AC Riley reminding you to check out the Riley Factor only on the Grapple Talk Network. Join me as I talk wrestling, interview wrestlers in my Spotlight and Squared Circle segment, and much, much more. What are you waiting for? Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the Grapple Talk Network today. And as always, support independent wrestling.
1: Hey, it's Hot Shot Scott Williams. Do you like chili? Well, I do too. Do you like podcasts? Well, so do we. It's the Ross Family Matters podcast. Join myself, Victor Stick, Ross, Jack Spade, and a, and a cavalcade of other people except Maru. You're never allowed. The Grapple Talk Network, it's the podcast. We're coming at you. Maru's not allowed! Um, do, uh, what do we, what do we think? It. Do we have time for anything no, else? No, that's the end, We right don't right want to try to finish there, that. See if
0: Krav Maga
1: makes it or anything. Well,
0: it, you can't have an angle with Krav Maga.
3: Because Krav Maga starts an angle with you.
1: <laughs> and also because Krav Maga is completely lethal.
3: So and much better than any grappling you could ever do.
1: Oh but my gosh, yeah. And and any of that mat stuff or mixed martial arts is nothing compared to. Oh that to shit's Krav. a work. Yeah. Yeah, Krav Maga will kill you. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Like I watched a video about Krav Maga, the guy's like the goal of Krav Maga is to not lose your feet, okay? So like if there's a bottle or maybe like a
1: like a bookend or something next to you? Yeah, use that. Hit that guy. Whose Uncle Morty was teaching Krav Maga? <laughs> 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 he, he then punctuated with Makayam and let's have
0: some Gefilte fixes. Nobody American teaches Krav Maga, all right? They always
1: have an accent that's kind of hard to place. Fair enough. All right. That's well, I, you know what? I don't know what the next show's going to bring. Hopefully, Krav Maga. Well, there I don't will know. Definitely be some Krav Maga. Um... But it was a, another quick hour. Like It's like over an hour, I'm sure, at this yeah. point. Um, so I'm going to take it home here, as they would say in the business. Hot shot Scott Williams, Jack Spade, Vic Stick Rock. Hey, Alex Riley, Alex what did you think of your first appearance? I enjoyed it. Yeah, are you I really gonna come enjoyed- back? Or are you
2: You know, I'm in Milwaukee more often than not. Yeah. And I think that we need to start doing this, or you start, need to start doing this, and I would most certainly love to be part of it. You need to start doing this at North Country Sake Buffet.
1: We, the, well, they should be paying for some of this stuff. Yeah. By the way, next time, uh, if you're ever considering moving down here, there's a place somewhere in, like, lower West Dallas where there might be an open, open, uh, open area. You know that all of West Dallas is lower West Dallas, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. You, there is no upper crust. All right, well, thanks for listening again. We'll be up to show nine next time? Yeah, sure, why not? Uh, I don't know. I, th- yeah, I think this is eight. All right well let's see if we can if we can surpass where WrestleMania has gotten, and then we'll start shooting for the Super Bowls and see if we can get beyond fifty, but you certainly have enough material. thanks for listening everybody uh grapple talk uh and all the other shows real quick, you want to plug anything else sure we'll plug the grapple talk network
2: yeah. uh you can follow uh Nick and Jesse on the flagship Grapple talk where they focus on. Midwest Independent Wrestling and the National Topics, uh, The Riley Factor which uh, we have an episode about ACW that Scott and I did to kind of recap and review. Oh,
1: I'm everywhere. I'm horrible myself. Up. You're just
2: everywhere. Um, regular Guy Gaming which is uh, Maru and uh, Nick Ragnar who talk about video games and then we have Dejan Dash which uh, Jordy Lee does interviews with wrestlers that he meets across his travels as well. So plenty of content on the Grapple Talk Network and uh Plenty of uh, opportunities to kill some time on the road while you're driving.
1: All right, again, thanks for listening. Check out all those shows. We'll see you next time. again.